Welcome to episode 167 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is the Objects to Observe in the November Night Sky 2021 edition. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the nighttime sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. This is, I, I feel like we should have had a Halloween spectacular this year. I'm a little late on the draw. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what would that entail, my friend? I, I don't know. I don't know. What's what's the scariest thing you've ever seen in the night sky? Uh, I think one time we were out at a dark sky site, quite a quite a ways away from civilization. This was the uh, the dirt hills, if you remember that. Oh by, yeah, by a cell tower. Mm. And you know, it's it's common when we're out observing that you hear coyotes howling in the distance. Oh, when the coyote came up to us. Well, yeah. So <laughs> so we we had finished observing for the night. We were all done, and we heard the coyotes, and they sounded close. And uh, one of the one of the folks that came observing with us. Dave, uh, if you remember this, Chris, I, yeah, he, he, had, he had like a 18 million candlelight or so, you know, a ridiculous spotlight in his truck. So he brought it out, illuminated the, like the, the land behind us. And here was a coyote, maybe, I don't know, 50 feet away, just sitting there looking at us. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, and not that it was scary. It was just sort of like, it was startling. Right. Cause always in my head, like for, for those that aren't familiar with coyotes is, is one of the neat things they do is they're almost like ventriloquists. Like they can throw their voice so they can make yeah. it sound like they're close or far. And I don't know how it's done, but they can also sound like there's 20 of them when there's only one or two. Um, yeah. so it's kind of a, a neat, a neat thing to listen to. <clears throat> so I've always just, you know, at night when I hear them, uh, they're a long ways away, even if they sound close, but this guy was real close. <laughs> It was. That coyote was really close. Um, you know what I thought you were going to say is I thought you were going to say the night that just you and I went out and we went up on a hill by another cell tower. And this was on the north side of the dirt and cactus hills, kind of like a north facing slope. And I don't know if you, you remember that. We we're in like the stubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That field. And and we were observing. I remember we were observing up in Persis. You had your 12 inch reflector at that time. And, uh, and I, I remember there was a lot of coyotes around us and we started getting kind of a bit, we could kind of hear them breaking the stubble. They were, and there was a, it seemed like there was several groups of them around us and I got on, we got uncomfortable and left after we observed for like two hours, but by yeah, the end yeah. of it, they were yeah. kind of, we could yeah, hear them. Yeah. Yeah, that was a weird night. You know, one one last one that I'll share too. When we were at Grasslands that night and the fog was setting in, we could see in the distance, and this is kind of nighttime now, like it was dark, but you could see a like and and this this area, the campground is in a valley, and you could see a waterfall of fog pouring down sort of a uh, like a coulee on the side yeah. of, of the valley. <laughs> And it was just such an ominous thing to see and fascinating. Like I've never, you know, we spent a lot of time outdoors doing this. I've never seen anything like that. And yeah. it would have been really neat to like, this thing was probably a couple kilometers away at least. Yeah. Um, we were using binoculars to really observe it. Um, it would have been neat to just go there and see what it was like. But anyway, that's my Halloween alignment, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> we are going to have uh, a partial eclipse. This month, kind of moon's going to look like a giant pumpkin in the sky. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm though really excited uh, for the uh, potential comet, uh, bright comet. So we'll talk about that maybe towards the end of the, oh, uh, yeah. the roundup, yeah. but uh, it'll be, and that'll be appropriate because it'll be more at the end of the month, but yeah. Um, comet Leonard, put it on your list, everybody. All right. So planetary roundup really quick. Mercury and Venus are both covered, um, you know, they're, they're going to be, uh, you know, in the, in the very sort of far reaches of our atmosphere. I've been watching Venus uh, these mm-hmm. nights, and it's kind of shimmering and shaking in the southwest. Now that it's getting dark so early here, I mean, it's up for a long time, but it's not really that high. And uh, Jupiter is going to have some, some moon shadows. Uh, Saturn is, is really starting to come down now. I mean, I was looking at it last night, and it's, it's getting far down in our atmosphere now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's, it's starting to get cold. So we're going to, we're going to be getting cold at the eyepiece, uh, pretty soon. Uh, Uranus opposition is coming along and, uh, now is the time to really, uh, take, take a good, uh, take a look, good look at that, uh, while you can, uh, and Neptune is going to be well-placed near Jupiter. So jumping off on November 3rd, there's going to be a double shadow transit where, uh, all North American can see Io's shadow, um, on its disc at the same time as the great red spot. So are you going to try to take a look at this here in a few days, Shane? 100%. Um, I've looked at Jupiter. I don't even know how many nights this particular observing season, like it has to be at least a couple dozen different nights. I've been out. I've seen shadow transits. I've seen various detail in the cloud bands. I've yet to see the great red spot. <laughs> Every night I've looked at Jupiter, it hasn't been visible. And mm. uh, so, yeah, I really want to see it. And because we don't have much, uh, we don't have much more time to observe Jupiter. Like probably by the end of November, I think it'll be at a point in the sky where it's just too low to get any meaningful, you know, details. So I'll probably start to ignore it at that point. Um, but yeah, definitely on the third, if it's clear, I will be out with a telescope. Also happening on the third. Now this one is a little sketchy and okay. at best, this is pretty advanced stuff. And I, I probably won't be checking this out, but also on the third in the afternoon, there's going to be a daylight occultation of mercury by the moon. Wow. That would be a difficult observation. It would be very difficult. And it's only 15 degrees away from the sun. Oof. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's too close for my comfort. That, that, yeah. that requires such extreme caution and uh, solar safety practices that uh, only raise that because we have a, a broad and diverse spectrum of listeners and some of them are more advanced and would be able to kind of sort out, but you'd want to make sure that you've, you've really uh, got things nailed down for, for solar safety. I, I don't think it's worthwhile. I mean, shoot, some of my telescopes just about get a five degree field of view. And you think about how easy it would be to get a piece of the sun in there. I, I don't think, I don't think that's worthwhile. I, one of the reasons why I actually mentioned it is that sometimes you'll see this stuff mentioned like mm-hmm. in uh in like online, um, what to observe in the nighttime sky kind of stuff. And I'm like, I don't know that we should really be like encouraging people to try to make this observation. I think that's, that's too dangerous unless you're, you've got some pretty good, uh, tracking equipment and so solar safety, uh, mechanisms, uh, in place to do it. And I, I don't know that it would be worthwhile. Yeah. I think if, if this is something you're going to do, the other thing is, 
preparation for this type of event is huge. So like on your planetarium software, know the exact position of where Mercury will be in relation to the moon at the specific time, uh, because you don't want to be messing around, like scanning the, the daytime sky, looking for it. You know, Mer- Mercury is kind of a challenging observation, even when it's dark, never mind in the daytime. So uh, this would be this would be a hard one. Yeah. And I, and I think on the morning of the third and possibly the morning of, of the fourth, um, you can see a really old moon. I think for I think maybe for us it's on the third. I, I didn't check the UTC time, but it must have meant the third. Um, yeah, because that's going to be a pretty old moon, and uh, anyway, should be pretty beautiful, like in the morning sky. But you, you can go and look to the southeast. Um, you know, as the sky's brightening, but before sunrise, you know, just check your local time for sunrise, and and you'd stand a chance of of seeing the moon. Um, and Mercury pretty close together, uh, in the sky on those, on those mornings anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good tip. Yeah. So if you just, just want to see Mercury in the moon, uh, just set your alarm early for, I think like the third probably would be a pretty good shot to see Mercury in the moon. Uh, and you're going to see it in a lot of twilight if, if you're lucky, but, uh, yeah, don't, don't be observing once that sun comes up unless, uh, unless this is something you've, uh, you've trained for. <laughs> yeah. And, and an old moon, what, what we mean there is, is basically the moon's life cycle is kind of measured from, um, the point right after new moon, when it starts to illuminate again, uh, to full moon and then back to new moon. So an old moon is like that last moment before it turns into a new moon. And, uh, it's kind of neat to catch these extremely like thin lines of illuminated lunar surface. Um, sometimes they they can be really hard to spot as well, but when you do see them, they're quite pretty. And also while we get into this, uh, new moon period, uh, the Gegenschein Mm -hmm. is slowly becoming, uh, visible. And we did a whole episode on the Gegenschein back in, uh, I think it was around the start of August. I think we recorded around the end of July, but uh, Dave Chapman, came on and spoke about uh, his observations of the Gegenschein, which is uh, the illumination of, of particles in our solar system uh, by the sun. And it's uh, sort of opposite the sun in the nighttime sky. And, and this is becoming uh, visible, but yeah, if people want to want to take a look, they can, uh, they can kind of reach back into our archive and, uh, and take a look for that Gegenschein episode, uh, which was uh, I think about uh, three, uh, three and a half months ago now. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, that was a great episode. And, you know, I always love hearing Dave talk about astronomy and, and in that, that one in particular, because that's a topic I didn't know a lot about and hearing how he observed it from Florida and then kind of what he did after that was pretty cool. And that could be something, cause you were talking about maybe going and do something uh, early winter or slash winter camping. My, my opinion is that once it's getting down to negative double digits, you're, you're winter camping at chain. Um, but if, even if you don't take a telescope out with you, you're going to be in a dark place probably. So uh, you could take a look for the Gaganchine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I will. And the Gaganchine sounds like some sort of name for a horror movie and it is Halloween <laughs> today when we're recording this. So there's that. <laughs> Another time. All right. All right. So uh, on the 5th of November, Uranus is going to be at opposition. Have you observed Uranus yet this year? I have not. Have you? No, but I shall actually um, Richard Schmoody was on, uh, the, uh, the observer's notebook 
from Al, the the Alpo podcast, which mm-hmm. is great. He was he was talking about observing Uranus, and then they were like, "Have you observed it?" And he's like, "No, not yet." <laughs> so, <laughs> he was talking about it. Um, pretty good stuff, though. Uh, and he's he's the author of the book, I think, Neptune and Uranus and how to observe them or something like that, which uh, I do want to get. But last time I looked, I could only find a used copy for like a hundred and twenty dollars Canadian or something like that. So. I uh, got to take another another look for that. But uh, yeah, usually I, I hunt down Uranus. I, I can see it from my yard. Uranus is like a like an almost sixth magnitude star. Um, looks kind of a little bit bloated. Uh, not too hard to find usually parabinoculars, um, you know, and 15 minutes with uh, planetarium software is, is usually all it takes. Don't you really need to be dark adapted or anything to see it? Um, so it's uh, it's not too bad. So you should try hunting it down. It gives you a sense of satisfaction. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if you have larger aperture telescopes, um, you can start to sometimes see uh, some of the color there. Um, it, it can yeah. be kind of a fun observation in that regard. Um, and that's that's really the test, I think. You're not going to see any surface detail. It's really just seeing if you can uh, pull in some of the color. Yeah. And there's a few people with uh, eight-inch telescopes who listen to this and, and larger. I know Bill's got a, I think it's his is a 20. And uh, yeah, for sure on those larger, uh, you know, sort of six inch and larger sizes, you're going to start to see some of that aqua uh, marine coloring. Uh, also on the fifth, we have the South Torrid meteor shower peaking. Hmm. What rate does that hit? Do you know offhand? I don't think it's, it's a lot, but I think they're fairly bright. I'm just looking. So that's, uh, that's next Tuesday. So yeah, probably, probably not going to be able to, to stamp and observe that. Mm-hmm. Is that Tuesday? No, that's got to be Friday. Yeah, that's Friday. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll be able to uh, to take a look if I if I get up early or something like that. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So on November eighth, uh, Venus is just one point one degrees south of the Moon, and an occultation occurs for parts of China, Russia, and Japan. And I know we do have uh, some listeners in Japan, so. Uh, that is going to happen for you. And that will be uh, in the evening. Um, I think it's around, s- did I put the time in here? No, I didn't put the time in, but it, that would be an evening observation for you. But for us, um, the moon and, uh, and, and Venus get within uh, just over a degree apart. So um, good binocular fields start at around five or so degrees. And uh, most telescope wide fields, even in telescopes just one and a quarter, are able to get about a degree. So this is pretty close uh, in the nighttime sky. I think this this would be interesting uh, to take a look at uh, on the eighth there, Shane. Yeah, yeah, that would be a very cool observation. I'll definitely take a look at that because I can actually I get a pretty good view of, of Venus from my upstairs window, and uh, yeah, I can just sort of point the binoculars there and go, yep. I can see it. And so mm-hmm. even for a few days around that, it's going to be, they're going to be, you know, for, for a day on the other side, I think they'll be fairly close. So, all right. Uh, let's see. November 11th, the first quarter moon is in the sky. Um, plus Jupiter um, will be visible in the same low powered binocular field. So I think here, yeah, here um, they're about six degrees apart. So if you have a pretty wide field binocular, or maybe even our little uh, 50 millimeter crazy wide field telescopes, be able to see Jupiter and the moon in that same field of view. So that could be a cool one just to, uh, just to take the scope out, plunk it down in the driveway and take a look at. Yeah, absolutely. That would be neat. Um, and anytime you can get, you know, multiple objects in a field of view, I always appreciate it. 
yeah yeah i like that too i like just sort of seeing them pair up together it's uh yeah it's it's pretty neat just uh just to take a look at also on that night on the night of the 11th the uh the lunar x is visible and i think it's visible for all of north america for those that uh that like to see the the x on the moon well that's very cool and you know, this is an observation um, that if you've never had it before, check it out. It, it's kind of neat to see. Again, it's it's um, it's not an actual feature on the moon. It is just an X that appears uh, at certain times based on the illumination of like um, uh, kind of crater ridges and, and peaks. Um, you know, the, the lighting versus the shadow then creates this X. Uh, and then also there's a lunar V that's visible the same night. Uh, mm. And it's all along the Terminator. And pretty cool to, to watch. And the other thing too, it's uh, if you're, especially if you're a real fan of the moon and observing it, um, there's one thing just to observe the X, the lunar X, but the other aspect of this is to watch it just for the whole evening and see how it changes. And it changes fairly quickly, actually, um, as uh, the, the sun catches um, different kind of points uh, along that Terminator. Because that Terminator shadow is always moving across the face of the moon and changing what's in shadow and what's not. And, and various objects can really appear differently from the beginning of the night until the end. And the lunar X is a, an excellent way to sort of observe that transition throughout the evening. It's an excellent way. And hey. <laughs> <laughs> X marks the spot. So maybe it'll be talk like a pirate day too. I don't know. All right. Um, let's see. On the 18th, Uranus and the moon pair up in binoculars. They're actually really close. I think they're just both three degrees apart. So again, small wide field telescopes, like, like, uh, you know, telescopes less than four inches in aperture, um, that have two inch focusers and are less than F six would be able to, uh, to get the moon and Uranus. So that would be a good night to try to hunt down Uranus and just, uh, just observe it. Um, it's just the day before full moon. So, you know, the moon is going to be uh, very bright and washing out the sky. But like I said, Uranus is just, I think it's going to be like around 5.7, uh, magnitude. So not super faint. So decent pair of binoculars and uh, small telescopes definitely uh, would uh, make short work of hunting down Uranus that night. So you wouldn't even need to take out the astronomy software. Although here, I think when I looked at this, I think for us, so I think November 18th was just like the UTC time. And I think for us, it actually ends up being the night of the 17th at about 8.50 is when we see it at the closest here in Saskatchewan. Okay. Yeah. Well, that'll be a good, you know, I, I love when we, well, you know, you create these notes. So I love it when you highlight, um, you know, Neptune and your Uranus in particular, because they're not naked eye objects, uh, under most skies. Um, but I like when they pair up with something very visible like Jupiter or the moon and make it a lot yeah. easier for everybody to find. Yeah. Also November 17th, of course, is pretty famous because, uh, that's, uh, that's when the, the Alenian meteor shower uh, takes place. However, with the full moon in the sky, no, you're not going to see too many Leonid meteors that night. Maybe no. if they're really bright, you might see some, but uh, yeah, um, unfortunately, the, the moon is going to wash out the Leonid meteors that night. So the full moon is going to occur on the 19th, but do you know what else is happening that night, Shane? There is a partial lunar eclipse that some folks in North America, or maybe all folks in North America will be able to see. I, I can't yep. remember. Okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty much everywhere, except on the on the far eastern side, like Newfoundland, 
um, area, I, I think might not um, get the full, full, full. But here in the in the middle of in the middle of the continent where we are, we're going to be able to see the entire um, lunar eclipse. It doesn't. It's not a full. Like it's technically just a partial. But it's as close to a full and still be a partial as you can get. Because I Ooh. think it's something like I think it's something like one percent of the moon is left illuminated or something like that, give or take. Um, mm. it's this extremely small amount. So it's you know, and and I find with the lunar eclipses anyway, um, you know, unlike with a solar eclipse, not that I've seen a full solar eclipse, but you have, um, with a solar eclipse, if there's just one percent of the sun left. It would still be, you would get a lot of brightness because the sun is so bright. Whereas with the moon, if there's only like just one percent left or so, um, you're really not getting that much light out of it. So you're going to have uh, some pretty dark skies um, for a couple hours uh, on the evening of the nineteenth as that lunar eclipse uh, takes place. Yeah, I love lunar eclipses. Um, you don't need anything to observe this with. You can do this just with your eyeballs. Um, binoculars, uh, or telescopes are kind of fun to use as well, but you don't need them. Um, and what is neat or what, what I find neat about lunar eclipses is as the moon is going into totality, or in this case, as close to totality as it will get, um, it will take on sort of a reddish color and that, that red is hard to predict. And sometimes it's very vibrant. Other times you sometimes don't even know it's going into eclipse actually, because it just doesn't really change a lot. Um, so I'm always um, excited for these things just to see how red the moon does get during mm -hmm. the eclipse. And um, uh, a couple years ago, I'm trying to think what year that was. I'm, I'm, I can't remember now, but it was actually quite a deep red that mm -hmm. the moon turned and, and it's quite beautiful. And, and because these things are somewhat rare, you know, that, um, they don't happen all of the time. And then also the, again, that degree of redness, um, changes so much. Um, it is kind of special when you do get one of these lunar eclipses where the, the color really becomes apparent. Yeah. I'm disappointed though, because we still have quite a bit of, uh, COVID cases here. Uh, they might be going down. It's hard, it's hard to tell because people stop getting tested, but, um, yeah, usually when there, in fact, every other time when there's been a lunar eclipse, while my while I've been teaching my class, um, I, I get the class out to to observe it with binoculars. And then what we do is we try to go somewhere reasonably dark, whether it's you know just doing in the one of the local parks or something like that, or just outside the city or, or wherever. And then what we do is uh, is take our binoculars and, uh, you know, sort of as, as the lunar eclipse starts taking place and the sky gets dark, you're watching this, this, this event and everybody is excited to see a lunar eclipse. But then it also gets dark enough to actually see um, stars and some deep sky objects. So usually what I've been able to do is have, uh, have, have the participants in my class go and take a look at like the Andromeda galaxy, the double cluster, um, you know, identify some of the other, uh, constellations and star patterns and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, learn stuff. We've had people come out maybe that have never even identified the big dipper before. They always wondered, is that the big dipper? You know, I just need someone to say, Hey, you know, that is it. Or, you know, some people, uh, have been trying to find, the Andromeda galaxy, but not being successful. And it's really great to be able to kind of give them a hand to walk through that. But I think probably by the 19th, we're still have too many COVID cases. So I'll probably just observe it, but I've observed pretty much every lunar eclipse that's taken place. That's been visible uh, since I was like 11 or something like that. Yeah, they're fun. Uh, I like observing them. So if it's clear here, I will be out observing that one. Yeah, cool. Good stuff. 
on uh, November 27th. Um, this is the uh, last quarter moon. Um, you know, not that I get too excited about the last quarter moon, but they are pretty cool to take a look at. I was looking at the last quarter moon back, I think it was in August or September. And I, uh, I had left my uh, telescope set up at my dark site and rolled out of bed and went up and did an observing session on, on the last quarter moon. And I, I actually didn't take a chart or anything with me. It was freezing cold and uh, can't remember what, uh, what the features I was looking at are, but definitely there's, there's a lot of mountainous uh, chains and, and crater chains and that that are visible on the last quarter moon. Pretty, pretty worthwhile looking at. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's another good event to put into the calendar. So the last thing I have to add before we get on to your comet craziness is uh is the dwarf planet series is going to be at opposition and uh brighter than magnitude seven so uh and that's that's going to happen on the 27th as well so that's going to be in the uh in the evening sky or sort of the sky all night and uh you know you'd be able to go out and take a look at that so have you ever uh have you ever seen series yes yes um what, what I would like to try, you know, and, and potentially could happen on this opposition would be to go to a dark site and see it naked eye, potentially. That would be pretty cool. I can't recall if it was series I was looking at or Ves, is it Vesta or Vespa, something like that. Anyway, um, let's see. It's going to be up in, it's in a pretty good spot because it's, it's in Taurus. It's actually going to be hanging out pretty much in the Hyades. So it could be pretty interesting to try to hunt it down, but there's a lot of stars in that area. So uh, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it, again, it's not streaking across the sky. It will look like a star essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. That would be hard for sure. Yeah. Actually, I think it's going to be really close to Aldebaran on, on that, on that night. Oh, okay. So yeah, might be able to tease it out with binoculars. I don't know. That could be, that could be a little difficult. Right now, it's going to be just the left of Aldebaran, and then yeah, by sorry, what day? Yeah, twenty seventh. Yeah, it's coming along. So it's going to be actually, it's going to be right above. You know the the pointer, the tip of uh, Taurus. Yes. Like yes. So because Taurus is kind of like a V. Well, at like the at sort of the end of the V. Um, there's a star and right above that, um, just to the left, there's, there's like about a, I think it's like about a fourth magnitude star, maybe, yeah, maybe like three and a half magnitude. It's going to be just to the right of that star. So that, that would be a pretty easy way, uh, to find a Cirrus. Yeah. So tell us about some of your comments there, Shane. Yeah, so there's two to speak of. The first one uh, is a, a comet that looks like it'll hit eighth magnitude. Um, so that's getting to be a, a potentially decent comet in optics, you know, binoculars or telescopes. And this one is uh, 67P, uh, what is this here? Churi Yumov dash Garrisomenko. So this was the one that the Rosetta mission tried to land on. Is it really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Cause I worked for the company that built the lander. <laughs> okay. Okay. For, short, for a very short period of time and was not on that particular project. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah. I'm just looking here. That was the Rosetta mission. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. I have a coffee mug for it because they were really, <laughs> I was really excited. So they were like, we're going to give you a coffee mug. And I was like, thanks so much. I'm going to go do research at the university. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it looks like it'll be in Gemini. Um, so that's a potential one for folks to check out this month. So this would be, it looks like kind of a midnight slash morning comet. Uh, so the, you know, the later or the last half of the night. Um, and then the one that everybody's been kind of talking about since the start of the year is, is now the time to start watching. And that's C 2021 a one Leonard. Um, this one has the potential and there's a lot of forecasts that have this going or becoming a naked eye comet in December, reaching magnitude four, which mm-hmm. is exceptionally bright. Now mm-hmm. we always put out there that these things are highly, um, erratic and very difficult to predict how bright they will actually get. And more often than not, these Comets that have bright forecasts end up disappointing us because they break up when they get close to the sun or, you know, get sucked into the sun and just disappear entirely. Um, And and then they just don't get as bright as what people thought. Um, However, uh, towards the end of November, um, uh, I think, yeah, I think more towards the end of November in the morning sky, uh, Leonard is expected to get to magnitude seven. Hmm. Um, looking at the curve, the magnitudes graph of observations, it looks like it's trending below forecast right now, um, Mm -hmm. and has been kind since really the start of the year, but it really, it really doesn't matter. It just really matters what happens in the next eight weeks, essentially throughout Mm -hmm. November and December. Um, so keep an eye on this one. It, it, what, what's really neat about comets, uh, one is to watch this evolution of, you know, brightening over a period of time, but what is also cool or kind of exciting is again, that erratic aspect of them, uh, they could brighten up substantially from one night to the next. So Mm -hmm. it's just neat to watch it if you can, as many times, uh, as possible, and if it does get to like a magnitude four, that'll be uh, an incredible comet uh, to, to observe. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely uh, is at uh, a fainter magnitude now. It's only at 12 and a half. So that's, yeah. that's not, that's not all that bright. No, no. So it has a ways to go. So definitely right now, I wouldn't be too concerned with observing it um, unless you have some larger apertures. Um, but like I say, towards the end of the month, uh, it'll be worth paying attention to, you know, start tuning into some of the astronomy Twitter accounts. And, and I think we'll try to tweet about it too, if it does, uh, flare up and, and, uh, get as bright as what, you know, we're hoping for and, uh, get ready for some December observing. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully this, uh, this does brighten up. I mean, right now, I mean, Skyhound says that, uh, you can, you can get it in a six inch, but 12 and a half magnitude. That is, Ooh, that's pushing I, it. I think you'd be, you'd be six inches in a refractor at the large, at the darkest site. I think realistically, you know, you'd be doing well to get it in a, in a 10, a 10 inch. Yeah. I'm just reading a report uh, from somebody on cloudy night saying they got it in a 10 inch, but they had, they, they have smaller instruments and they had been observing with smaller instruments, other comets. And yeah, it's not uh it's not that bright. Yeah. So, you know, there we go. Yeah. Time will tell. And, uh, my fingers are crossed that this turns into another bright comet 
Um, we, we, if it does, then we're quite fortunate, um, because that'll be what two in two years, I guess, almost two yeah. and a half years or yeah, something like that. Yeah. I mean, not, uh, not much longer than a year after having a Neowise and now we're prepared. We have these little 50 millimeter super wide fields. So I'm ready for that next 10 degree tail. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Well, do you have anything else left to uh, add to this? Our objects to observe the night sky for November, 2021 Shane. That is all Chris. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me and thanks so much everybody for listening. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>